Welcome back to Financial Therapy. It's not just about the money. I'm personal financial planner, columnist, and financial therapist, Rick Kaler. Research tells us that 90% of all financial decisions are made emotionally, not logically. For nearly four decades, I've been helping people make better money decisions. So what makes my financial worldview different from most financial experts? I blend the nuts and bolts of financial advice with the emotions that drive making them. Good money decisions are not just about the money. So let's get started with today's episode. Welcome back to another edition. Uh, this week I'm going to feature a conversation I had with Lewis Wellmeyer. It was actually on talking therapy office hours that I do once a month. And I thought it was uh, pretty insightful. We talk about IFS, IFIO, couples, and narcissism. Uh, Lewis is a, an attorney who transitioned to integrated financial planning. He was a student of mine at Golden Gate University, and he's really insightful. And I think you're going to enjoy this conversation. So, my God, Rick, there's so much for us to catch up on. First of all, thank you for making time. Regarding IFS and financial therapy, obviously, there's, there's so much overlap there. You know, my, my wife and I have had some issues with, with finances, and we each would respond to each other in ways that were not our typical selves. And it became clear to me after um, ruminating on what, what you've taught, what you've taught me and the doors that you've opened to help me understand that each of us brought a part that formed in reaction to our abuse by our respective narcissistic parents around money. Basically, we were in fight or flight, and then that, our respective parts popped up. And having that understanding, like you said, that that's not who she is. Mm -hmm. and, and respectively to her, that's not who I am. Right. That's unfortunately giving you kind of a message in the bottle from decades ago of what each of us experienced and how we adapted out of fear so that we could try to protect ourselves from being continuously abused. Yeah, yeah. Makes a lot of sense. Um, back before I even knew IFS, Ted Klontz would say, well, when a couple fights about money, it's their uh, money scripts that are fighting. Right, right. And, and so this is, of course, IFS takes that and shines a brighter light on it. It's uh, two parts that um, have these beliefs that were, there he is, deciding she wants to talk to me, that were wounded. There's, a, there's almost always trauma under a real firm, solid, rigid money script, right? Sure. <clears throat> and so that means that there is a wounded part, a vulnerable part, that that money script is there to protect. Yeah, basically, in IFS terms, what, what happens is we become blended with the part, right? Our, if you want to say our true self, our real self energy just kind of is shut out of the room. <laughs> it's mm -hmm. taken over. Is, mm -hmm. in, in this book, we talk about it being a boardroom and that the self energy is the CEO. 
and the CEO is locked out of the boardroom. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and all the little kids now, they've taken over. So we're, we're yeah. blessed. And that's what happens, you know, uh, especially with spouses. Boy, we get into those parts and away we go. And we mm-hmm. end up talking from the part, mm-hmm. not for the part. Mm-hmm. And we might have talked about this before, as you know, it's a, it's a whole shift to say, Lewis, I am so upset with you, blah, blah, blah. Or, unless there's a part of me that's so upset with what just happened or what was just said. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, can you feel that shift? Totally. So that that's just one of the few things about the power of IFS is in the reframe, how we look at that. And then there, have I ever talked much about IFIO, intimacy, intimacy from the inside out? No. So IFIO was developed by Tony Herbine Blank, and it is the couple's adaptation of IFS. Typically, when you have a therapist that's an IFIO, couples therapist, it means they, they've had their basic training in IFS, and then they've learned how to apply that to couples. I just went through the advanced IFIO training, and I'm not a couples specialist, but the training was fascinating and probably maybe training that's good to have if you're going to write a book <laughs> to couples. <laughs> and my co-author is a couples therapist. And one of the big focuses of IFIO is working with the couple to help them learn what's going on inside of them. So when your spouse is blended with this part and starts the rant, typically what those parts of ourselves will say is if they would get off of it, if they would change, we would not have a problem. That's typically Mm -hmm. where our focus is. I know Mm -hmm. that's where mine is. And One third of her work is stopping the couple and helping them reflect. So when Faust said that or did this, what happened inside of you? And really trying to keep the focus. What were you feeling? What thoughts did you have? What thoughts did you have about the relationship? Now, then what did you do? What do you do when you're having those thoughts and everything? Well, then I... Yell back and say, da, 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 da. Great. Stop. Thank you. You go to the next spouse. So when he responds in that way, what's going on inside of you? What do you feel? Where in your body do you feel it? What are the thoughts? What are the, what's going on? Then what do you do in response? Mm -hmm. So you slow it way down. And I've seen couples therapists do this. Uh, I remember... Ted once, so we were working with a couple, and they had about a three-sentence volley to start the session. Boom, boom, boom. He stopped it, actually physically stood in between them, and then spent two hours unpacking those three sentences. Mm-hmm. So that's what I, I've learned, and it's, it's kind of fascinating because it's so hard to do. What's going on inside of you? Yeah, well, 
if they know what's going on inside of you. And then once, if you can do do this enough and get the, the, the couple to the place that they're not dysregulated and they start, they can start listening to each other. Typically they're going to hear the good intention. I mean, mm-hmm. as you peel this thing down and kind of get to those vulnerabilities, oftentimes the couple really wants the same thing, mm-hmm. but they're coming at it oppositely. So if you can get, get it to that point to where they can start having a conversation, now, ultimately the goal of IFIO is to be able to do parts work with each person in the couple and let the other couple witness it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you have got to be super regulated, <laughs> yeah. right? Because it has to be safe. Yeah. That's probably more than you ever wanted to know. We don't get into know it. I mean, I've got dialogue in there kind of like that. I don't know how a couple does this on their own, right? You would have to just be like a Zen master. Yep. My hope is there's enough stuff in the book where a couple maybe can, maybe if they don't have a lot of wounding, they can start getting on the same page. And if they do have a lot of wounding, maybe it's a little bit of a guidebook. To where they can go yeah. find help, you know? Yeah. This work, I mean, obviously you spent all of the time and effort to write it. So you, you know, it's, it's important. It's an, it's enormously important to you and there's an enormous need for it. Having gone through a, a, a number of these, these issues with, with different people, you know, to realize that you're not, you know, the analogy I use is when you're, when you're ignorant of where those of of where those feelings come from and where the anger comes from and and when you simply react it really is like walking across say a 100 yard field in pitch dark and that field is littered with metal rakes yep you don't know when you're going to step on one you know you will and then it's going to hurt and then and you're going to yeah and that anxiety and frustration but then having the the awareness that you're introducing people to that this is possible. This is not Pollyannic, that this is truly possible to then turn on lights so you can see where those rakes are and see that they're rakes and that it's not whatever is popping in your mind, that that this is something you can AC. It's not some form of, of a deity, but it's just, it's a rake. And here's how you can walk around it. Walk around it or turn it over. So the prongs aren't exactly. <laughs> That's right. Right. Or collect it. <laughs> Pick right. it up. Move it. <laughs> and uh, and I can't. I really can't think of, of of a more bonding experience, Rick, to to be with someone who, throughout their lives and throughout your life, you know, you you've you've both carried the the remnants of your traumatic experiences and you've got somebody there who is there with you and, and helping you untangle those knots that you have lived with and you get to do the same for them. I mean, that's an incredible, incredible gift yeah. and, and, a, and an opportunity to really bond. You know, I have, of course, done getting ready to go into my seventh of IFI, IFS therapy. So I, I know that I have not 
personally experienced IFIO with another person. And you, you think of it as couples. I think that that's the most normal, uh, but it can be a relationship with anybody, right? It's any partnership. So I have not experienced watching somebody that I'm in partnership with doing IFS. I mean, I've witnessed plenty of demos. I've been in therapy. I've had partnerships, business partnerships, where we've done therapy. The one where we did five years of therapy, but it wasn't IFS or IFIO therapy. Mm -hmm. You know, I just said that. IFS therapy, I've had people tell me this, and it's my experience. You can go really deep, really fast. And so I just want to absolutely affirm what you've said, that it would be a super bonding experience because you're probably going to be dealing with this very vulnerable part of your partner. And that's going to be incredibly touching or has a great propensity to be very touching. I don't know how many couples in IFIO get there. Like all the training, all the training in IFIO is on what they call the tracking, which is watching the dance and stopping, focus inwardly. And then once that gets de-escalated on helping them have what's called, I think they call it courageous conversations or courageous communication, where you start helping them talk about what's going on and starting to have a, a real honest conversation. And it's not, there can be some parts talk, but it's not doing parts work because mm-hmm. you're really monitoring both people. And, and mm-hmm. uh, so once you get through that, you, you can potentially get to the place where they actually do individual IFS. But things have been, have been de-escalated to that point mm-hmm. that they're saying, well, you know what to do by the time you get here. <laughs> I'd, like, I'd like to know if anybody ever gets there. Because <laughs> it's different from well, individual work. Of course it is, yeah. You know, I think most of us, I mean, except for, of course, for the narcissists but uh, and the sociopaths, but I think all of us, you know, when we see somebody's absolute vulnerability, even when we have been in conflict with them, and we understand, like you said, like you told me years ago, if, if you understand someone's backstory, what they're doing today, no matter how crazy it looks, makes perfect sense. And, this, and the same thing applies to someone and being in rage and being in, and being in fight or flight. And, and whatever comes out with that fight or flight is never pretty. But if you understand what caused that, of course, you're going to just like melt because you're going to see like a, a, a child version of this person. Yes. Oh, yes. You're going to see that really young, wounded part. Right. Eight years old, five years old, eight years old. No, you're, you're exactly right. I, I even think with the narcissist, IFS would not label a narcissist as such because IFS really does not buy into the DSM-5, right? Mm-hmm. Or the, the typical diagnosis. It would say that your narcissist is super defended, right? Protectors mm-hmm. up, getting to the those exiles, which are screaming, 
You talk about mm -hmm. woundedness and trauma on steroids. Yeah. So it, it's like, I don't know how it would be to work with a narcissist. Boy, they would have to feel super safe. And I have worked with clients who have been raised by narcissists and the wounding is gobsmacking, which you have some experience with. You know, I literally two days ago, I was doing some flipping around on YouTube and I came upon this video and the woman described what it's like to have a, a malignant narcissist for a mother. A malignant narcissist. I've never heard that term. It's on the verge of evil. That's, that's a narcissist who gets satisfaction out of inflicting pain. And uh, among other things, you know, the narcissist, this ties in, of course, with, you know, the money egg exercise, which I, I couldn't really connect it. But now I do because that's the, the playbook that, that um, Lisa the malignant does, but a number of narcissists use is they use money to control. Yeah. And they also go out of their way to make you, to, to groom you to be dependent on them. And so from a money perspective, you know, codependency, big red flag for having that type of a childhood. That's something that really answered a lot of questions for me. And I was reading the comments, you know, all these comments from these videos, and then I went look for some more, of course. And it was so sad, Rick, to, to read all these different people who have had these types of, of experiences where, you know, they, they bought into this, or they were raised to believe that they could never make it on their own, and that they had to be dependent. And and when they tried to be independent, they were absolutely destroyed, you know, and um, I mean, talk about these people needing uh, money therapy. I had a, a client in that type of situation who uh, brought out the old uh, alcoholic family or the dysfunctional family, some of the players, there's the family mm -hmm. hero, the family clown. Mm -hmm. And one was the family scapegoat. Yes, there you go. Does that resonate with yep. you? That Absolutely. And the enablers. Yes. And I, I thought, wow, does this fit? Because this, you know, where I think the narcissist has the person they build up, you are the greatest in the world. You can do no wrong as long as you're pleasing me. Yes. Or as long as you're worshiping me, you are the greatest. But your greatness is dependent on me. Yeah. Not you're the greatest. Yeah, 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 yeah. I will make sure. Yeah, that's true. Somebody in England once said there's three stages of, of a narcissist. And I forgot them. And they were brilliant. But it, it, it's like the stage of you are the greatest or, or I'm building you up. But then when you cross me, mm -hmm. there's a stage. And then finally, when you're, you're tossed away. But getting back to the scapegoat, it, it's like there's the child that's the, the golden child. Right. That's, that, that's the child who, who buys into the narcissist's 
plan and basically, you know, makes offerings to their altar of greatness. There you go. And then the, the scapegoat has already, it has not bought into the plan or is already on the way or, cha- or challenged or challenged it or said, right. Hey, that's not right. You know, we shouldn't, we shouldn't treat uncle such and so that way. I had one friend once say in a family like that, if you yeah. see the problem, you are the problem. Mm. But if you see the problem, you're now the problem. <laughs> or, or at risk. Uh, if it, yeah, the, like um, the truth teller, you know, uh, the truth teller of the family can end up being the, the scapegoat. Well, it's just, it's like, it, it's as if the, uh, the emperor's new clothes ended in a very ugly way where the king had the kid killed for pointing out that he was, he was naked. There you go. Yep. Or, or banished um, because that, and, but Rick, that's, that's what's so just disturbing is that this is not just one person's uh, trajectory or story that it, uh, in these comments, I read over and over and over again, people describing it where they challenged, pointed out, disagreed, exposed, whatever, the narcissist's true reality. And then the narcissist has this, like, I, I don't even know what, it, it's like this, this power and this conviction to then destabilize that challenger's support structure. Oh, you know, you really should know because then what the, the, because the narcissist has the goods on everybody. They, they're collecting dirty info on everybody so that when they need it in the future, they've got it. And so then they then use that, that information they have to then destabilize the, the support structure of the person who is now a threat. And then before you know it, to a T, that person is crazy. That person is unreliable. That person is a liar. That person is, but taking the responsibility for the, the awfulness and, and now giving it to, giving it to the, that disruptor. Yeah. Yeah. You are the problem. Right. I mean, right. You're the one who really messed up here. Well, and, and when you're a kid and when you're, you're, you know, your, your, your other family members who are the enablers because they don't want to upset the narcissist because it's so terrible when they get upset. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the enablers buy into it too. And then you're like, well, I want to, I got to fit in with my family. So I guess, okay, I'll take responsibility for this. And then you live with that, with that belief that you're never good enough and that you are terrible. And, you know, all of these different, you know, beliefs that, that were groomed into you. It's just horrible. Well, you, you really nailed it on the enabler. Like they see what's going on. They don't want to see what's going on because yeah. the price is too, too big because yeah. they know what's going to happen to them. Right. If they speak truth, they're next. Right. Boy, we have seen that play out on a national stage, haven't we? Oh, sure have. <laughs> yeah. It, it's a, a tough thing to heal from because I think that that's called complex trauma. Yeah. Or it's uh, verbal abuse, uh, neglect. It's like death by a thousand cuts. Abandonment. 
Abandonment. Yep. Yeah. Just to, to see the people closest to you and then to have them do because you're vulnerable, right? And then to have them literally like throw you to the wolves is and it and it's all to satisfy their fragile ego because they are hurt that you exposed something that they didn't want exposed. Yeah. You you have touched an exile, a really vulnerable part. And when that happens, man, those protected parts uh, clamp down. We are not going to feel this pain, and we'll make sure that you feel plenty of it. So it was a great conversation, Louis. Always is a great conversation with you. Really appreciate you. You you too, Rick. Thank you. Thanks for joining me, Rick Kaler, for another episode of Financial Therapy. It's not just about the money. This is where I combine the nuts and bolts of financial advice with the emotions that drive making them. Remember, every financial behavior, whether it appears illogical to you or others, makes perfect sense when we understand the underlying beliefs, feelings, and thoughts. Sign up for my weekly blog at financialawakenings.com. I hope you'll join me again for our next episode.